The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to the Nicholas Gregoratti Show. I am your host, Nick Gregoratis. And for those longtime listeners, I'm sure you're wondering what happened to the old name, Liberation Mentor. So I told myself I wouldn't change the name of my podcast again. <laughs> but Liberation Mentor, the name had served its purpose and it was time for something new. You know, I've been in the podcasting game for a long time now. It's coming up on 12 years. And to give you guys a little bit of a backstory, if you if you haven't followed my podcasting career and you you started with Liberation Mentor, or if you're just starting with this first episode of the Nicholas Gregoretti Show, my first podcast was called London Real, and I co-hosted that with a gentleman named Brian Rose. It was set in London. We recorded and filmed it in London, uh, and this was in I think, if I'm not mistaken, 2009. It began or late 2008. It was super successful and uh, had an amazing time with that, learned a lot. But uh, he and I had some irreconcilable differences and we went our separate ways. And I started another show after that called The Journey Podcast. And that was with a gentleman named Paul Morin, who uh, was a good friend of mine. And um, I think we had some great conversations. It developed a, a cult following for sure. And unfortunately, Paul had been battling with cancer for a long time and he lost that fight. And uh, it was really sad because he and I had a great chemistry and a great dynamic together. And I think we could have done huge things with the journey, but I mean, what are you going to do, right? So after the journey, the next show I worked on was Digital Communion. And I did that with my friend, Thomas Husking. And that was a cool show as well. I enjoyed it, loved, loved doing it, but Thomas had twins and we both were kind of just busy with various life events and we didn't have the time or energy commitment to keep digital communion going. So after that, I started a jujitsu specific podcast called the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Podcast. And that was also pretty popular. I'd say it became one of the most popular jujitsu shows of the time, but what happened with that is I got to the point where I was getting a little bit tired of just speaking about jujitsu. As much as I love it and as much as I enjoy it, you can only really say so much about one specific topic, or at least I've only really got the desire to speak so much on a specific topic. And as someone who's been involved in jujitsu for 20 plus years and who still teaches several times a week and still has a jujitsu association, I don't really feel like talking about it that much to be honest. It's a part of my life I'd want to keep, not entirely separate, but I don't want it to uh, monopolize this other part of my life, this my other, my other business and my the other aspects of me. So I changed the name about two years ago from Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Podcast to Liberation Mentor Podcast. And the reason I went with that was because I didn't want it to be Jiu-Jitsu specific. But that name Liberation Mentor was chosen specifically because I believed at the time that 
my role was to teach people how to liberate themselves from horrible jobs, horrible careers, shitty relationships, unhealthy bodies, and all these things that hold men specifically back in the modern world, right? And as time passed, I kind of fell out of love with that name. And I also realized it was, I don't know, it just wasn't suitable to what I was trying to do, especially as my focus shifted more towards entrepreneurship and more towards coaching and just helping men with a wider range of topics. I realized that some some people don't necessarily want liberation. Even myself, some of my wants and needs have changed. Like I no longer feel the need to be liberated from certain things. And I've taken on certain responsibilities that have um, caused me to give up some freedoms. And I'm, I'm happy about that. So that name Liberation Mentor just wasn't gelling with me anymore. And even though I said I wasn't going to change the name of my podcast again, I've decided for one final time to rebrand. And this is it now. It's the Nicholas Gregoretti Show. There's another thing behind that as well, which is my name. I was, I was always kind of embarrassed by my name for a long time, my surname. When I did the London Real project, I actually used a, a stage name, Nick Gabriel. Because when I was a kid, my surname, Gregory Addis, was, uh, you know, I grew up in South Africa. And when people heard that surname, they just didn't know what to do with it. You know, it was such an insular society that, you know, they, they just couldn't even process. Like, what, what the fuck is this about? I was teased a lot about my name and many people couldn't pronounce it. And to be honest, today, quite a few people still struggle to pronounce it. But uh, I'm not embarrassed by my name anymore. I'm, I'm proud of it. It's actually got a very powerful meaning. The name Gregoriati is the root of it is watchful or vigilant. And I think that's just really cool. I am very watchful and vigilant when I move through the world and I'm observant and I pay attention to things. And my ancestors that carried that name went through a hell of a lot. You know, my, they, they survived a genocide in Turkey and they fled Turkey and then arrived in, uh, in Beirut, which is where my father was born. Uh, his parents having fled there after the Turkish genocide of the Greeks and the Armenians. And so, you know, I'm, I want to claim claim that back, that name that that I was embarrassed by and I was ashamed of, and you know, I'm proud of it now. And um, yeah, so that's that's what's the show. The show title is moving forwards, the Nicholas Gregoratti show. Nothing else really is going to change except, uh, yeah, the title, and I think maybe the fact that I'm becoming someone who operates less and less out of fear or shame, or guilt, or embarrassment, and more and more out of love. That's yet another symbol of that, is me sticking by my name. And so that's going to permeate, hopefully, throughout the show. The episode that we're going to do today, it's a special episode because it's actually something I recorded with um, my good friend Mike Srinovich over a year ago now. And it was an episode of his show. So it's been floating out on the internet for a while. You may or may not have heard it if you follow Mike Srinovich. But I I'm going to release it as uh, I'm releasing it now as an episode of my show because it's been in my on the back burner for a while and I've been wanting to put it out there because it was a great conversation. Listening to it before I recorded this intro, I realized how much has changed in that last year since I recorded it. My circumstances have drastically changed, and also I'm a very different person. I'm much stronger, and I'm much uh, 
I'm much happier than I was, far, far happier. I think when you listen to the beginning of the show, I, I speak about my divorce a little bit and I, I can hear in my own voice, there's still some bitterness and resentment regarding that, that I've largely left behind. But then the conversation takes a different turn and, and Mike and I have some pretty cool back and forths regarding all the good stuff, you know, business and relationships and culture and media and, and a lot of the stuff that you guys have come to know me for. So I'm sure you're going to love this one. Mike is a highly intelligent man and uh, I always appreciate our discourses. And also I just want to say thank you to all of you guys who followed me throughout this course of my, my podcasting career from London Real to the journey to Digital Communion to the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood podcast to Liberation Mentor and now to the Nicholas Gregoriati show. Thank you so much for sticking by me. You know, every one of those emails that I get and it happens more often than I expected. I'll get an email just from someone saying how much they appreciate the show and how much it's done for them. And, you know, that makes it all worth it. A lot goes into producing this. A lot of money goes into it, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of care goes into making this show. And so uh, it really means a lot to me when you guys recognize that. Another one of the ways that you can help me is just to leave a review on iTunes. That always uh, helps, as you guys know. The more reviews, the higher the show gets ranked, the more people get to listen to it. The more inspiring messages I get, the more likely I am to continue doing it. So uh, please go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. I hope you guys are doing exceptionally well. And I also hope you enjoy the next episode with Mike Cernovich. And we're back, Mike Cernovich, Cernovich.com. If you're listening to this at anywhere other than rockfin.com forward slash Cernovich, go to Rockfin hit the endorse button and be sure to check out all the exclusive videos, back podcast library and everything else there at rockfin.com forward slash Cernovich. Today we have a great guest, sort of a life is a full circle, you know, life is a full circle kind of deep, uh, vibe. And that's Nick Gabriel. He has a different last name. And, you know, when I was very young, I read a book, how to win friends and influence people. And there's a chapter there and how you should know how to pronounce people's names. And, and I should know by now, but Nick G, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, my brother. It's Gregory Ed is it's a tough one. It took me until I was about seven or eight years old before I could say it myself. So I get where you're coming from. Well, and I don't mind because people call me Mike, son of a bitch, Cernovich, Saranovich. Uh, so, so for me, I don't feel there was a, a running gag where people would think that I would mispronounce someone's name as a, like an alpha thing. Oh, I don't even know your name, but it, it really isn't that at all. It's just bad with names. Mm-hmm. I, I totally get it, man. I'm not holding any grudge. So how, how have you been, man? It's been, been a while, I think. Yeah, bro. Uh, I've been well, I've been well. It's, um, you know, we, we've, we've spoken in private about this before and I've, I've shared it on my own podcast. I went through a very, very difficult patch last year when um, I got divorced, which I wasn't expecting, and um, took me right to the to the the darkest place I've ever been. And it's been a tough journey climbing out of that hole. But I'm I'm out of the hole now, and I'm I'm seeing the the light, and I'm seeing the all the blessings and the gifts that, that actually has come with. So I'm good, man. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to to have come through that. I'm grateful to be alive. Yeah, divorces, man, they mess guys up a lot. I noticed that. I've I've had a couple of friends go through them. And I th- I think I'm the only guy I know who went through a divorce and was like good about it. <laughs> Everybody else I know tends to get their 
get rattled a little bit. So what, what's that? It's just a jarring feeling you think? Uh, yeah, man. I think when you, it's the, the analogy that always, or the image that always comes to my mind is this idea of like, um, like an ocean liner. If you can think of your life as analogous to an ocean liner, right? It's got all this, this momentum and it's headed in a certain direction. Uh, and then when something comes along and just, you know, forces you to change course that you weren't expecting, it takes a lot of energy to re-steer that, that huge vessel in a new direction because you'd, you'd put so much stock and so much energy and so much faith in this one course that you'd navigated or that you'd charted. And now all of a sudden you're realizing you can't go that way anymore. And so I think that's the thing that gets men a lot is you have someone who you think is your best friend and you think is on your team forever and that you guys are like in it, you know, together it's ride or die. And meanwhile, that person doesn't feel that way. And they are like, um, secretly planning their escape, um, or their escape is probably a strong word, but they're secretly, secretly planning to just jettison you and, when that happens, it's like it's a huge blow to your ego as well. When you realize there were certain things that you did that, you know, made them feel that way and that it's, you know, this, it, it, it highlights a lot of your flaws and your shortcomings. And it's, um, it's, it's pretty tough on the ego for a man who's like, thinks he's doing his best and thinks he's doing everything as well as he can to get to the point where someone says they just can't, can't be with you anymore. It's, it's, it's tough on the ego. At least it was for me. That's probably similar to how a lot of my other guy friends felt too, as if you're a more kind of successful guy in our own minds, we think, well, why wouldn't anybody want to be part of that? And that, that of course is one of the, the paradoxes of relationships and life in general is if you don't have the confidence to believe that you have worth and that people are lucky to be with you and fortunate to be with you, then you won't have relationships but that same modality of thinking can lead you to get complacent in all of your relationships and in life more broadly. Yeah, exactly. And it can, can lead to blind spots. I mean, I think that there is still, that's true. And I, I, I put my hand up and, and take responsibility for my role in that. And I think a lot of men do as well. But I do think that the, the current zeitgeist, uh, especially in a place like America, is quite it's quite difficult for men to stay married or for women to stay married to men because uh there is a very a very clear message within the media that they are deserving of pretty much everything and that men are lucky to be with them and so i think what happens in their minds is they kind of create this expectation of this prince charming who's six foot three and has a an eight pack and is financially independent and emotionally available and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then if the man doesn't live up to this impossible standard, then because she's been watching the bachelor and um, all these kinds of shows, she just thinks, Oh, well, I'm on to the next one. Um, and so I think that that makes it pretty tough for, for men in the modern age to, to find like a, a real person or a person with, with values and morals and, and someone who's really in it for the long haul. Yeah. You mentioned those shows and I noticed that that the cultural programming that is unconscious to everyone. I, I use an example 
I think a podcast I did maybe 10 years ago where I hadn't read a magazine in years. And then I found myself reading them. Now, nobody, of course, reads magazines. Do they even exist anymore? <laughs> but I found myself wanting all of these things, wanting a watch, wanting a tent, wanting a bunch of things that I would never use at all. And I realized that, that it all seeped into my unconscious <laughs> mind, right? Yeah, like, I, yeah. like, I don't need another freaking knife. I don't need the bare grills, the survival knife. I have better knives or I don't need another sleeping bag. My sleeping bag is fine. <laughs> and when you, consume, when you consume mass media, you're programming your mind, but you don't realize you're programming your mind because you're, you're not on guard. You're thinking, oh, I'm reading a magazine. This is an interesting article. And like, I'll, as an example, outside magazine you're reading an article about someone who's interesting or about a life arc that's interesting. And that hypnotizes you almost to be open to the message of consumerism without realizing it. And then you realize, Oh yeah, actually all of this is about selling you something and getting you to, to buy something that you don't need. And none of these stories are important. And that's why I just read books. Don't read <laughs> magazines. I just read books. Uh-huh. And then, and then, you know, with women, they, you know, they watch that kind of mass produced stuff. And then men, of course, spend all day looking at asses on Instagram. And then that mm-hmm, leads to, mm-hmm. to men having their own problems. Yeah, it's our culture and in particular, the, the media that's, that's expressed or created through our culture. I generally think it doesn't do us any favors. And I try to really minimize my consumption of it. It's, it's interesting that you touched on that, this idea that when you, when you read a magazine you feel, uh, you know, inspired to, cons- to to purchase because in MJ DeMarco's amazing book, um, Unscripted, he, he speaks about how we are trained from a very, very young age to be consumers as opposed to producers. But the interesting thing is that the highest rewards in society go to, to the producers, not the consumers. It's the people that create products and content and art uh, that get the most rewards, right? They're the ones that, that not only do better financially, but also are applauded and lauded by our society. And yet our society keeps training us to be the complete opposite of that. So again, it comes down to this thing, which I speak about a lot, which I, I've coined the, the, the law of 180. Um, Eben Pagan calls it the critical counterintuitive, but it's it's, it's this idea that if you want to attain the, the peaks of the human experience, you have to look at what the crowd is doing and turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction. It's, it's pretty much the only way. Yeah, mass media consumption, the unscripted. I've, that's why you have to live. I live a sheltered life. People go, oh, how are you raising your children? I go, I'm attached to parenting, sheltering. And sheltering gets a bad reputation but I, I live a very, I live a very sheltered life. You know, you've known me for years through periods of, you know, high success, ups and downs. And, you know, have you ever seen me with a Rolex, a Patek Philippe, or even talking about a watch, right? And no, I haven't actually. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's, that's largely because I shelter myself from mass media, realizing that we're all, we're all susceptible. We're all programmed to want something now because we see it, because we covet it. And that's why curating your own mental life and creating your own physical life, I think is so important. And I call it sheltering. You can call it curating if you want, because that has less maybe societal weight to it. Well, I don't shelter my children. I just curate what they see. I don't shelter my own life. I curate what I see. And I suppose 
both are true, although the message fundamentally is the same, is there are people trying to get in our brains from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed and they want to be with us when we're asleep mm-hmm. and we should be more conscious of that. For sure. I mean, I, th- I think as well, if you look at the, the pattern of the average person's life, it's they uh, wake up and they turn on the TV or the radio or whatever it might be and they start absorbing information when their mind is is pretty much susceptible and they haven't placed any any guards or filters on their mind and then they go to work, they do their thing, uh, get home, eat dinner, and then they sit in front of the television and they spend the last few hours before they're going to sleep, once again, absorbing uh, through their eyes, aka the window to the soul, all these liminal and subliminal messages, and then that sinks into their very being, right? And then they wonder why, if they've been watching dramas, uh, their lives are dramatic, or if they've been watching you know, um, stuff that's got the commercial every three minutes, they wonder why their minds are so splintered and fractured and they can't concentrate. It's, it's obvious. It's, it's obvious, you know. I'm, I'm not speaking from a high horse because I, I love watching television every now and then and I, I enjoy shows and things like that. But um, I notice now that I've, I've really curtailed it and I, I curate it to a high degree, as you, as you use that word, curator, we like that one. Um, that man, if I sit down in front of the TV now, it's, it's jarring. It's fucking jarring. I, it, like, it feels like an assault on my senses, especially commercials. I literally, I literally cannot watch commercials. I can't look at them. It's too much for my psyche. Um, and if that's a consequence of being sheltered or overly curating my mind, then so be it. Um, I'll, I'll take the, the positives over uh, the negatives any day of the week. It's weird. Yeah, we mentioned commercials because I, I definitely don't preach total abstinence in terms of not watching shows or anything, but I do rarely watch anything on TV. And then if I'm every five years, I'm about in the market for a car. It's actually kind of fun when you don't watch TV and you don't know what is out there commercial wise, because you know I, I run my car, I buy them used, I run them for five, six years, and then I, I get another car. And you're, you look, wow, there's, I can't believe the market now, how much everything has changed all of a sudden. You mm-hmm. feel like you're in a, in a time capsule or you feel like you're in a Rip Van Winkle nap and you wake up and the world is actually more interesting. And now, now I can't decide if I even want a vehicle or if I do, the choices are endless instead of being bombarded constantly by now you need this, now you need this, that. I mean, I had, a, I had a weird thing happening. I was living in Europe at the time and I just had it in my mind that I was going to get a Rolex. I don't know why. It was 2015. I, the idea is, and I realized it, and that's why I never bought the watch, but I fought with it for about nine months. I really wanted one. And then I thought, well, why would I get a Rolex? Why don't I get a Petit Philippe? You know, that's more my whatever station in life. And I realized that we think of consumerism as a real coming of age. Oh, well, I've, I'm successful now. I have to to achieve that landmark or to achieve that coming of age moment in a man's life, I have to get that Lamborghini or I have to get that Rolex or I have to get that other thing. And that's because we're consumer, consumer beings now. We're not spiritual beings, or at least we're not raised to be spiritual beings. We're raised to be consumer beings. So instead of thinking, oh, I, I hit a big landmark in my life, I should go do something else for my community or something else for, for the broader world. We always think about mm-hmm. what can I consume now to tell myself that I've made it. 
and to tell others and to signal to others that have made it as well, which uh, I, I fully understand. We're, we're tribal beings and we want to be, we want to represent ourselves and be seen in a certain way. I, I totally understand that, but I've been reflecting on it a lot lately, really digging deep down into my own desires and asking why I also feel the need for certain things. And one of the, the antidotes I've, I've found to that particular way of thinking is, well, it's a two-part thing, actually. The first is, do I really want people in my life who value me because of the things I have? Does that, is that really the type of person I want to attract in my life? And the second one is, do I really want to be the type of person who bases his own self-worth on the things he owns? And the answer is, is no, pretty much all the time. So I still like nice things. I'm not... Uh, not someone who doesn't want to to own quality, nice things and enjoy some of the finer things in life, but I refuse to allow it to to define me and drive me. Yeah, real. I think real life has been an antidote for a lot of these feelings that I may have had at one time because I'm kind of in the sweet spot where I've done well enough that my children don't have financial scarcity. So I, I don't, I can't feel like, okay, I never did anything, so to speak with my life. And, but I've also been around obscene wealth. I've been around, you know, high, high degrees of wealth. And I can't think of, once you achieve that level where you're not living in financial scarcity, I don't look at people who have all these things and think, wow, this person is a, a great life. I want to swap with them. I see, like I was talking to one guy who he's a very, very good person. And he, we were talking about kids and he said, Oh yeah, my kids are all teenagers now. And that's the age they don't want to see you. And he said, now I'm looking back at my life on how, when they were younger, I lost all that time because I was working so hard because in my own mind, I wanted to have a lot of money for them. But when they're little kids, a little kid doesn't give a shit, right? How much money you have, <laughs> assuming you can provide, there's a house, the power, the power business, business going out again, it's the real financial scarcity, which not a lot of people in the Western world face is as long as that isn't there, your kid doesn't like give a shit that you made $500,000 a year this mm -hmm. year. What, what can you actually give them? They want your time. They want your attention. They want your presence. Yeah. Your, your attention is, is the, is the, I think that's the word I've been, I've been meditating on a lot lately. It's, I think that's the most valuable, the value, that is the most valuable and desired commodity in the 21st century is your attention, right? And that is what people are desperate for. And I notice it, you know, when I interact with someone and I give them my full attention, which means my phone is not something that's going to come between them and I, and I'm looking them in the eye and I'm truly, truly listening to what they have to say. And I'm forming a connection with them. That is, it's like gold to them. I can see that they appreciate it. And I think that's an absolutely essential thing to do. I mean, if I come back to what what happened with my ex-wife and I is I was working so hard to provide a, a future for her and I that uh, because she wasn't working, that I real that I looking at it now, I, I wasn't giving her the attention that she wanted, right? And it's a bit of a tough, it's a bit of a catch-22 that, you know, I was I was not giving her attention, but ultimately doing that for her. And then it, it backfired. If I had just, you know, not worried so much about making the money and buying all the nice things and just, you know, spent more time with her and focused on her and her needs, things might've been very, very different. And so I think that's a, there's a valuable lesson in that for all, for, for life, right? Which is that 
your relationships and your energy and your attention, like these are the valuable things, you know, your presence and your peace of mind and the way you move through the world. These, these are the gold, not, not the numbers on some imaginary piece of paper or the, the shiny car in the driveway. Yeah. And that's the politically correct answer. There's also though a relationship pattern that I've seen over and over again in personal lives and other people's lives where you know, one partner, usually the the female partner, they want the man out there grinding, doing things because they want to live a certain kind of life. And then they get mad when the person isn't there. That, yeah. right. I mean, that, that cycle does repeat itself where I, I don't see a lot of women, especially attractive women saying, oh, I'll just be happy living in a burlap sack and not, not having anything, not having any kind of resources, yeah. That's a completely acceptable way of life. So then the man feels the pressure to provide and create that life, but then now he's emotionally unavailable. And we, we see that pattern over and over again. Yeah, we really do. I was just speaking to a friend um, recently, very close friend of mine, one of my mentors, actually a super successful guy, and he's having issues with um, his significant other because, you know, he works 14-hour days. He's, he's built this, this eight-figure empire for for him and his family. And now he wants to, to make sure that it's secure for forever. So that this is why his words exactly where he's, he's trying to build this financial wall around his family that will protect them in, in any, any circumstances. And he gets home and he's so exhausted and tired and strung out. And then his girlfriend always the mother of his child, who's his girlfriend freaks out on him, you know, and, I can get it. I see it from her point of view. Like if you've been raising the child the whole day and you've been on your, on your own at home and you love this man and he comes home and he's just too exhausted to, to spend time with you or to be with you, I can feel how you would start to lose a connection to him. But it's it doesn't mean it's fair. Right? It doesn't mean that that's, that's fair or, or rational. Uh, and I think as with everything else, it's a very like Life for a man in the modern age is a very, very complex skill. It's a very complex skill. You can have it all, but it takes a huge amount of self-reflection and thought and constant adjustment and refinement and questioning and studying and trial and error and failure to get to the point where you have it all. I'll actually look at you as someone who seems to have done that, Mike. And um, yeah, kudos to you for doing that. Well, thanks. I'm I'm not sure I'm there yet. I I do try. And just thinking about your friend, my guess would be that he's overestimating what financial security needs to look like for your children. And that's the other mistake I think that men make is you think, oh, I need to have millions of dollars saved for my kids or what actually you men over overestimate that to where like my daughters, for example, they they have a certain amount of money that invested over time will lead them to have you know a few hundred thousand dollars when they're 18 or 19. And to me, they, they still have to live their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of men think, oh, I got to make millions and millions of dollars. That way they can go to whatever, they can go to whatever university they want to go to and all of the material needs to be met. But then all you're teaching them by doing that is that the whole world is material. The whole world mm-hmm. is what money can buy. The whole world is how much money you can have. Whereas how I try to live with money and how I try to, to live, teach my children to live with money is that it's a, it's a soft landing pad. 
it isn't that we want to make more money so that we can do more things or we can buy more things or I can have the watches and the new cars. Like I said, I, I buy my cars used and I drive them until I get the tax depreciation done. And then I get another car used and go through that cycle. So I do, I do think that, and I don't know your friend specifics, but having seen this a lot with a lot of men, I would, I would say that they do exaggerate the amount, the number, so to speak, because I've seen a lot, I've seen this happen over and over again too, especially as they get older, where men hit that so-called number. Okay. You have financial independence now. You don't ever have to work a job you don't ever want to do again. Now you still probably have to work, but you will never have to ethically compromise yourself for money. You will never have to psychologically or spiritually compromise yourself for money ever again for the rest of your life. So you can choose your own work, which is such a blessing. Mm-hmm. And they hit that number and no one says, oh, I hit that number. Thank God. I finally did it. We're secure. I'm going to live off some of the interest now. I'm going to do some smart risk averse investments here, get some dividends here, buy some municipal bonds, which are, are tax deferred or tax free. That transition doesn't really happen. It's go, 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 go. Yeah. And what I've noticed is, and I, I had this own problem with myself that I had to, to reconcile. It's what got you there. It's almost like it's, it's good to, it's good that what got you there worked. And if what got you there worked, the last thing you want to hear is that maybe because you're at a higher level of the mountain, you need a different set of skills. You need a different <laughs> set of priorities. You need to rebalance. No, how dare you tell me anything? I'm a success. I'm a world beater. Look at all these accomplishments that I have. And the answer is, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. This is all objectively true. But it could be that those patterns aren't serving you anymore. Oh, absolutely. What There's a... I think it's the title of a book, if I'm not mistaken. It's called "What What Got You, What Got You Here Won't Get You There," um, and it expresses the same sentiment. You know, sometimes you've got to. I think this is another thing that that we as men, I know, I this was a very big lesson for me. It was a, a real come to Jesus moment for me, because I had lived a large part of my life, especially my my twenties, believing that all these metrics of success, like a healthy, strong body and a functioning business and a relationship and all these things we strive for as, as men are almost set, set, uh, frozen in time. So once you get in good shape, it's cool. You can check that box. Or once you found the, the nice, uh, the attractive, cool partner, you check that box. Once you built the business and made the money, you check that box. And then you're cool. Those are taken care of, but it's, it's not, it's this constant. Um, it's like a wave that you're riding that constantly requires adjustment and reflection and questioning and charting a new course. And yeah, I, I think that that ties into what you're saying. It's like, as a man, you're always paying your dues. Always. It doesn't, it doesn't end, right. It's, it's this continual process of reinvention and, um, and growth. Well, it's rebalancing and that's exactly what you're mentioning. And I've, I've mentioned this before and people say, well, how do I find a a work-life balance? And I go, you're never going to be balanced. It's always going to be off balance. So if you're getting that hot body, you're probably not committed to business the way you should be, or you're probably not committed to something else, or you're a man and you get that hot body and you're in a good relationship, but now women maybe start to flirt with you and they make a lot of overt sexual overtures. And as you Mm -hmm. become successful and prominent, and you have a, a good physique now, well, now you have to learn how to deal with temptation. Now you have to deal with 
your own feelings of, is this partner I have, is, oh, is she good enough? I could go jump into bed with this other girl, or I could go date these five other girls. Why am I only dating one girl? And you're, you're constantly rebalancing your life all the time. And you are, you are always riding the wave. And there's always going to be some instability. It's rare where everything is sort of good, right? Where your health is good, your relationships are good, your money's good, everything is just good. But even when that happens, what, 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 what's the um, demon that comes in? The demon says it's all going to be taken away from you, which creates <laughs> anxiety, fear, paranoia. No, now I have to work harder to keep what yeah. I have because I might lose all of this. It's, an, it's a torment, I think, forever, unless you are aware of these emotions and try to balance them out a little bit. Yeah. And then there's a second demon, which is complacency and boredom, right? When everything, I mean, you've, uh, one of the things I reflect on a lot is that, that line in the, in the matrix when Agent Smith is saying, you know, the first matrix we built was a paradise. It was absolutely perfect and no one wanted for anything, but it failed. People just went, people went crazy when they were in it. And um, I I often think to myself, maybe that is as actually a a feature, not a bug of the human experience. That the feature being that it's full contentment is never really possible because otherwise there'd be no tension. There'd There'd be no tension of opposites. There'd be no drive for us to grow and expand and evolve right we'd all just you know sit on our sit on our huge lazy boys with our 75 inch televisions while our grandchildren sat at our knees and our wives fawned over us and we counted all the money in our bank account and like sure that sounds in theory amazing but you'd probably be bored out of your mind with that right and then the entropy of the world would set in you would start to get sick unhealthy your body yeah. would right. There's no that. That's the beauty of accepting our condition in a way, which is that if you don't, that's why I always tell people when they, because I, for me, you know, you come from physical culture, I come from physical culture, and then you get in this world where men, it's almost like they're from a different planet from you. Well, I can't, how do you get motivated to go to the gym? I don't. I don't even know how to sometimes answer some of these questions because it's so outside of my my just way of living. And what I've settled on is that you can think that you're not going to go to the gym and be lazy, but your body has things going on. You're going to get osteoarthritis. You're going to atheosclerosis. You're probably going to have a heart attack or stroke. You're going to have erectile dysfunction. Your your body, your body's going to be doing something one way or another. And it's about seizing your physical health. And yet there's a certain, I think, unsatisfactoriness to that answer because there are just certain things as a man I can't imagine, like I can't, a man who doesn't go to the gym or do some kind of physical exercise. I'm, I'm not going to say that's not a man because I've, I've gotten way past the point in my life where I'm obsessed with what does it mean to be a man and who's a man and who isn't and who's alpha and who's beta. I've gone way <laughs> past that point. To me, it's just alien. Like I don't under, you don't go to the gym. Okay. I don't, I don't understand. You don't do cardio or you don't take hikes. You don't lift weights. I don't even understand what's going on in your mind. You're, it's almost like they're a, again, a foreign or alien species to me. Yeah. I actually, I devote a whole chapter in my recent book to that. The title of the chapter is master your physicality. And the point that I, I make in that chapter is that we are physical beings in a physical dimension, right? We're also spiritual beings, but the fact of the matter is first and foremost, we are physical beings. You're having a physical experience. So that physical experience is largely reliant on the vehicle that you're using to navigate it, which is your body, right? Your uh-huh. physicality. So you have to, 
you owe it to yourself as a as a, a human being that wants to be fully actualized and get the most out of this experience to maintain and master that vehicle to the, the highest possible degree. And I'm, I'm the same as you. I just, when I see people who just don't give a fuck about their, their bodies, it's, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it either. It's alien to me, as you said. And I guess, yeah, that's alien to, there's so many things that are alien to me now about how people live their lives. And probably that's again, due to my own, the more, the more I curate my life or shelter my life, because I found that there's a dissatisfaction when you engage with the world with too much, because you see people living in a way that doesn't make any sense to you. And you can either fight that or try to change the world, which I don't, I've given up on, <laughs> or you can, or, or you can try to find gratitude in your own life. And I guess that's a little bit of a digression because the, the point we we're talking about is balancing gratitude, everything that you have, everything that you've accomplished with aspiration, with wanting more, with wanting to keep moving forward. I think that's the, the biggest challenge as a man always will be, I, I'm, I want more and it's good to want more. It's good to desire more, even though desiring, if you studied Buddha or anything, it makes a lot of sense. Desiring is suffering. And the, the answer that I've come to this, and I probably come through this through plant medicine and through other means, not through my own invention or creation, is that Desire does lead to suffering, but why are we afraid of suffering, right? Suffering sure. is the growth. Suffering is where we come out the other end, hopefully better, or hopefully more enlightened. It's okay to desire. It's okay to not achieve your dreams. It's okay to have a little bit of suffering. It's okay inside. to fail. Yeah, it's, it's okay. And that's mm. how you balance gratitude because as long as you're here, as long as you're still and the ride that you still have gratitude for where you are and what you're achieving. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Mike. I wanted to, <clears throat> if it's not something you've already um, overly discussed on your show, uh, just speak to you a little bit about that. You mentioned that you had a very uh, challenging, but also illuminating experience with plant medicine recently. And I, I wanted to know if that would be something you'd willing to be willing to share in this, in this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked openly about plant medicine and the experiences and they are, you, I mean, you know, you've been through them. They're all completely challenging because mm -hmm. you uh, you go through the whole panoply of human emotion, love, loss, suffering, pain. And then you come out, usually you're hopefully a little bit better, or at least more enlightened, or at least you have a better understanding of the world or your place in the world. Mm -hmm. And I thought I that know. was interesting. Yeah, I thought, well, I thought it was interesting. We were talking because the first time I'd ever heard of ayahuasca was from you on, on the infamous podcast that shall not be named. <laughs> although, although I did see your, I saw your interview with um, Rebel Wisdom or something like that. And I, I don't want us to digress to, to gossip necessarily, but I, I felt about that person you were talking about, I felt the same way that you felt about him, which is there's, there's just not a lot behind that person. And that's when I see that person, I see someone very insecure and I feel pity uh, more than anything else for that person. Agreed. In fact, um, one of, one of my very close friends said to me once, he said, Nick, one day, because uh, the truth is now I, I, I was very hurt with the way that relationship ended for a long time, but 
now I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I got away from that person when I did, because if I'd stayed with him, my, my reputation would probably be in tatters as his is now. And a friend of mine said to me, he said, Nick, one day you will be as grateful that things ended with your ex-wife as you are that things ended, that that particular relationship ended. And I'm not there yet, but every day I get a little bit closer to that. I guess what I, what I wanted to ask you, um, Mike, is specifically, I, I know you had, if I'm not mistaken, you had a, a recent experience that was one of the most profound and deepest of all your, your journeys. And, and that's something I, I truly enjoy hearing about is uh, those, <laughs> those paradigm-shattering, mind-bending ones that you're just never the same after. Like, am I... Am I confused or did you have one like that recently? No, no, no. Yeah. I just, I always change dates and times for, you know, various reasons. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay, yes. So. I never use recent or past or because uh, okay. when, when you go under you're in it, your, your time doesn't exist anyway. So I, I don't, I don't temporally represent them here, but yeah. So for me, what was, was shattering is go, you know, going in, I like the contrast between what you're going in worried about in this realm. And then what you worry about when you're in the realm. And here's what I mean. So go, going in, I was, my taxes were filed wrong. I owed like way more than we thought. It was like a ton of money. It was like a huge amount of money. And I'm going in just completely stressed out. Like, what am I going to do? I, like, where did this come from? And so I'm, I'm going in all stressed about money, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought that when I went under, that's what would come up. And then, of course, you go under, or at least in, in my case, I go under, and none of that surfaces. None of that, none of that comes up. Nothing that you're worried about in this realm comes up because your spirit actually doesn't care. Your soul doesn't care. So what came up for me was I saw my uh, children being taken away from me by wow. the universe. And that was all I cared about was being with my family, was being with my children. I felt completely alone. How would I describe it? So, okay. So imagine you and I were on a hike and we're hiking in Cape Town because South Africa gets a bad reputation in Western media. There are dangerous parts, but just like there are dangerous parts in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're hiking and the worst case happens where 10 people surround you and put an AK-47 up to your face and you, th- you are convinced that you're going to die. And everything about that situation says, and that very moment you are going to die. What would you think about? And in a conscious realm, that's a very hard experiment. You can think about, it's a useful experiment to have. What would you say? You're, there really is. Imagine that there's somebody has a gun up to your head right now. They're going to pull the trigger. That's it. If you're honest with yourself, you're going to think about love. You're going to think about all of the people that you love that you're never going to see again. You're going to wonder how they're going to live their lives without you. You're going to worry about them. And then now the gun goes away, but then we go back to the world. And what are we worried about? Well, I'm worried about some friend gossiped about me and that person isn't showing me the gratitude. I'm not getting the attention that I deserve here. I'm not getting the recognition that I deserve here. I'm, I don't have the money that I have here. I don't, right? That's mm-hmm. where a mind goes as you interact with this world. It's all about, am I getting ego boosts? Am I sure. getting, but you don't even want the validation. 
Because if you're honest, if there's a gun to your head, you're not going through your own mind. I wish that I had gotten more recognition in my life. I wish that I had gotten more blah, 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 blah in my life. You're all you're thinking about is love. You're thinking you're never going to have love again. You're never going to feel love. You're never going to express love. And then that turns into a deep sorrow and sadness for all of the people in your life. And you think, how are my daughters going to be? Or how is my wife going to be? Or how are my friends going to react to this? And that, for me, shifted, not necessarily my priorities, but it was a reminder that as cliche as everybody says it is, that love is all that matters. On a fundamental spiritual level, you ha- yes, you have, because people say, well, if you don't have money, you can't pay for it. And we all know this, right? That's where I- I've noticed that when I mention these things and-, and I write about them openly, you can see the ego mind, which is my ego mind, because we're all the same ego mind comes out, which is, oh, love is the answer. Are you a hippie? Or, oh, you say love is the answer. That's a cliche. Okay, sure it is. Do you, do you live with love? How much love are you giving? people on a daily life? How much love are you receiving? Do you believe that you're worthy of love? Or maybe you're putting up barriers around yourself because deep down you have a vulnerability or feeling of self-worth that makes you feel like you don't deserve love. And I've I've wrestled with that extensively and in a way that, as you know, feels like centuries, decades, thousands of years, and not not just a few hours, not just one (laughs) night. And, and I came out really fully committed to all this success bullshit I've had, all this, you know, people attacking me, stuff that I have. It all just is like insignificant to the point that it's laughable, but it isn't a laugh that's arrogant. It isn't a laugh that says I'm above it all. It isn't a laugh that says I'm so high and mighty. It's a laugh that says how fucking stupid is all this bullshit, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Wow, I mean, it's, as lessons go, that sounds like it was a pretty good one, man. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I really agree with everything you said. Like, there, you've heard that cliched or that that reference to that that study that's been thrown around forever, which is um, that nurse in Australia. She was working in a hospice, and uh, she she would ask people on their deathbeds what their biggest regrets were. And her research was subsequently compiled into a, uh, a piece called Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And no one ever said, I, I wished I'd made more money or I wished I'd spent, I'd spent more time at work. It was all things like, I wish I hadn't worked so hard or I wished I'd spent more time with my family or, I don't know, I think you, you, were, you were given that lesson before the end, right? You didn't have to wait to your, your last gasp to be able to come to that lesson. You were given it halfway through your life, which is a huge blessing. And it sounds like you've really internalized it. Well, and that's where, and that's where the lesson is here, right? There's, cause one of the people that we, you know, we, we know who, who does that show, he talks about plant medicine too. And you mentioned this on that, Re- that rebel wisdom show is it's the homework that you do. You have to do here because it's one thing to get that realization when you're in a state of people call it, I don't believe it's a hallucination. I believe this is the hallucination. But regardless, let's just take the, the classic Western scientific minority of thought that we're ingrained to believe. Okay, you go in, you hallucinate, and you come out, you're not hallucinating anymore, you're back in the world. Okay, but there's homework. The homework now is how do you 
live with love. How do you live with love, right? That's the homework. That's where you have to apply it every day in your life. And that's what I ask myself. Okay, I'm, I'm frustrated with my kid or I'm frustrated with this situation. Why though? Usually it isn't yeah. because there's actual danger. Usually it's just because our way of reconstructing the world or our way of engaging with the world is being shifted. But that's just ego. Oh, who, yeah. ca- who cares how all these other people are doing things unless there's an actual physical danger because that's, again, the balance of it all is that if you try to kick my door down and take my kids, it isn't going to be about woo-woo, love, we're all one <laughs> kind of people. You're, there's going yeah. to be a different reaction to that. But that same ego that keeps us alive in this world becomes very petty and overbearing. It becomes oppressive. I'm annoyed with that. Per- Why are you annoyed with that person? What are they actually really doing? What, what is that person actually doing wrong? And when you think about it, nothing is for whatever reason it bothers me yeah for sure and i've also found that you know the it's been eight months now uh since i went through that very challenging thing and i still have days where i wake up and i'm i'm angry right and i have these recursive thoughts about like you know there's a couple of people in my life that things of business relationships and, and romantic relationships where things have not gone the way I envisioned they were going to go or not go, gone the way I intended for them to go. And I get angry and I, I start saying in my mind, you know, fuck that person and how could they do this? And their behavior was disgraceful. And it's such a paradox because I know that that thinking and the energy that it brings with it is not going to get me where I want to go. But at the same time, shutting that out and and shutting it down is also doing yourself a disservice because that is a part of you that is obviously crying for attention and expression. It's usually the wounded child that that is causing those types of thoughts. And a lot of the self-help literature and the woo-woo spiritual crap has taught us over the last several years that, you know, you should never have negative thoughts. You should never give in to your ego. You should never entertain um, negativity towards another person. And I'm, I'm realizing that that's bullshit. That's just total bullshit. Like if these things are being expressed, it's because they need to be expressed. You know, as long as you don't act on them and as long as you don't let them take, take you over and seep into who you are and, and cause permanent bitterness and resentment, it's actually quite healthy to, to feel them and express them and allow them uh, temporarily at least. And that's that paradox that, that we that I've come to. It's, it's been my experience in life that at the highest level of any domain, whether it be thought or um, physical activity or business or relationships or whatever it might be at the highest level, you will always find this inherent paradox, right? And that's one of them that I've been learning to live with over the past couple of years. Well, yeah, I, that was a a big lesson. You mentioned that that letting it come out. There's, I think the answer to that is you you want to just sit with the energy, but as you become more spiritually aware, or you know, use plant medicine more, you learn the channels are open now. Because what happens with the negative thought patterns is. Most of our energy is, and I can't believe I talk like this, but once you've once you've been with the medicine for you know a, a period of time over the course of your life, everything that you would laugh at, especially if you're a, a big strong guy, beats people up and knows how to handle himself or train BJJ or whatever, you realize, you know, it's kind of funny because 
because I noticed when I think about these things, I would judge people who talk like that and think, what a fucking pussy, you know, what kind of fucking (laughs) pussy talks like that. And here I am, I'm the giant fucking pussy now, (laughs) now at this point in my life, but there, there really is so much truth to what happens is that it's not that the negative thought patterns are a problem. It's that when you couple that with how our trauma is so internalized that we don't know how to feel, we don't know how to process emotions we have trauma blocking in, in a way our arteries, our spiritual arterial system. Mm-hmm. Then it just builds up and it becomes cancer. And one thing I've learned from you know plant medicine is when I get that negative energy, I I do just I sit with the energy, but I don't bring that energy to my family. I don't bring that energy to my friends and family. I go away and I just let it flow through me. And there are times where I'll just lay down and go be by, and I'll cry. But, but I, that's not something that I could have done before the plant medicine. Instead, I would just be, do that motherfucker, you know, I'm going to get my revenge on him. And then not realizing as I walk into my house, I'm now in a mood. I'm a fucking mood now. And your kids are like, whoa, dad, what did we do wrong? And now they're blaming themselves, thinking that they're somehow responsible for your fucking mood. When really that was you allowing your own thoughts to spiral out of control which is because your emotional and spiritual channels aren't fully open. So as they open up, you, you want that to come up, but then you want it to be able to release from your body as well. Absolutely. It's, it's the, the art of letting go. Right. And it's uh, man, it's, it's such a, it's such a difficult skill to master. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been trying for years now and sometimes I think I have it and I know I'm getting better at it, but other times, today was one of them. Today, I just woke up fucking angry, playing over stuff in my head. And <laughs> I've used all the Jedi mind tricks and sat with it and tried to, to feel it and let those channels be flushed and let the, let the energy dissipate and, and be felt fully. But uh, it's still not easy, man. It's still not easy. And I guess, um, why, should it, why should I expect it to be easy? Some things in life aren't easy. And that's, that's something to be internalized as well. Yeah, one, and that's the idea though. It's like your BJJ black belt is BJJ easy when you go to the gym and you have an athletic purple belt, right? Not, not a chance. <laughs> right. Not a chance. So, right. So the idea is like every time I go to the gym, especially as you get older, I'm like, yeah, this is just going to suck. Whereas when you're, you know, you're in your early 20s, early 30s, you get in, you're gassed in, you got veins popping everywhere. Oh my God, this is, it feels good. It's like natural. And then as you get older, just, being normal or just maintaining what you have as a slog and you know that it's going to be a slog that that's sort of how I think with a lot of the the spiritual stuff is no, it's not, it's not going to be easy. Every day is going to be a struggle. Every moment is going to be a struggle, but why should, why should it be otherwise? And what a blessing it is that we have tools because the difference between us is when it's hard and we're in a slog, at least we have the awareness now to know. And then you think about all the people who don't know. Well, that's why they act the way they act because they're not even on a level of awareness to know that something's going on. We might be on a, we're on a level of awareness where maybe we can't control everything. And then the question would be, well, why do we feel like we need to control everything all the time? Why do we feel like it should be that easy to just turn a switch, but at least we're there. Whereas most of the people you interact with in the world are feeling what you're feeling, but they don't even know 
that that isn't the way that you have to feel, or that's not even the way that they want to feel. And now they're going to lash out at you. So when I, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think I'm fortunate yeah. to have, to have discovered or stumbled upon these tools and, you know, to be aware and open-minded enough to, to question. I think it, it comes back to that quote, right? Um, the, un, the unexamined life is not worth living. I'm not sure who said it. I think it was one of the, the, the Greek fathers of philosophy. Um, but it's, it's a, it is a great boon to be able to distance yourself from your ego and, and look at it objectively and not be lost in it and know that, okay, I'm really angry with this person. I don't need to lash out and send them a scathing letter. I can sit on my, or lie on my bed and close my eyes and just feel this negative feeling in its entirety and let it play out. And, you know, these things are all, I'm, I'm grateful for them. Um, I really am <laughs> truly. That's another, I think, lesson too. There, there's so many lessons from, from Madison that you get over the years. And that's why I, I remember, I think the first, no, I know for a fact, the first time I was ever with you, we did it. And I know that I'd, I'd met people along the way who said, oh, they did ayahuasca 50 times. And I always thought, why would you do it 50 times, right? And you, and you realize, no, I mean, over the course of 10, 20 years, you could see that because you're like in, it's like if to, to be a real martial artist, generally, what what do you, 10 years, right? If you really want to be a, a black belt in something, and that's regularly consistent training multiple times a week. So if you want to be a black belt in spirituality, there's at least 10 years, right? Of showing up, of showing yeah, up. It, it, it comes back to that, that thing I mentioned earlier in, in our conversation, Mike, which is, that it, I don't even think it works like that. I don't think, okay, after 10 years, cool. You get your your black belt and you're good to go. You know, I think it's, again, there's that that never-ending balance point or that constantly shifting balance point that you're seeking to attain. There never comes a point where you're like, okay, cool. I've got this thing handled. It's it's constant, never-ending practice. You know, I saw that as, as a black belt. I stopped training for a year when I was a third-degree black belt. I just was a bit burnt out and I... I just stopped training. I was like, I want to give it a break. And when I came back, my skills had atrophied massively. And it, it, it again made me understand that you're always paying your dues, man. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, there is no, there is no point frozen in time where you have arrived and you don't need to continue doing the work and continue putting the time in or continue reflecting. It's, it's a, it's a flow, you know, like the, what's that, that, um, there's an expression by Heraclitus, one of my favorite Greek philosophers, which he says that, uh, I think the, the Greek expression is Tina Ray, which means everything flows. And he also says something else, which is no man can step into the same river twice because the river is always changing and always flowing. It's, it's never the same river. And that's just something you have to accept about the nature of, being human is that we're in this constantly flowing river that we have to constantly adapt to and flow with and and navigate it's it's never i have arrived i've achieved this i'm a expert in business i'm an expert in martial arts i've got my relationship handled it's all taken care of it just doesn't work that way as much as we want it to and um yeah and it's it's difficult to accept but i'd rather know the truth than than live under the assumptions of a lie yeah, I'm kind of glad it's not though. I've that was I think another reason I was I was called to the medicine so much is 
and in life, like I've, I've in life, I have a black belt. Like I've, I've seen a lot, I've done a lot of objective achievements and I like, I like being a beginner again, that to me, that added so much richness to my life that I didn't. And the medicine even told me that during one experiences, it would show me these amazing realizations, crystallized aha moments, and then it would take it away. And then it would show it to me again and then take it away. And it would, and I was wondering, possessed, but when you go through these loops, time loops, you're always thinking, okay, there's something there that I need to focus on. And the, the, the lesson that I got from that was imagine how boring life would be if you had everything right now. And I told you all of the secrets of the universe. Oh, I think nothing. about that often. I think yeah. that exact thought very often. Yeah. Um, you've watched, I'm sure you've seen the Watchmen, right? That, uh, that movie, that superhero yeah. movie, you know, one of my favorite characters is Dr. Manhattan, who is just, I mean, if you look at the, the pantheon of superheroes across all the different brands, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, all of them, Dr. Manhattan is arguably the most powerful because he has this infinite, I mean, he's this quantum being. He has infinite intelligence, omniscience, omnipresence. He can do everything. I mean, he makes Superman look like a child. Right? And I often thought to myself, that would be so cool to be Dr. Manhattan. But the more I think about it, the more I realize what a massive curse that would be because there's then there's no mystery left to the game and there's no challenge left to the game. And maybe that's, again, as I said, it's a, it's a feature, not a bug, that life is challenging and it is constantly shifting. And it's like, again, my, another analogy I use is video games. If you played a video game that, if, if you play a video game, you get sick of it eventually because you conquer it and it hasn't changed, right? It's the same, like you start the game again and you might have fun the second time, but the third or the fourth time you're like, man, this is fucking boring. I want, I want something new. I want a new challenge and life. That's one of the beauties of life. I think whatever, whoever created this simulation, that's what it built into it is this, the fact that it is constantly changing and evolving and growing and you're never stepping in the same river twice. You're never playing the same game twice. And for guys like us, and I always, think about that too when when you do the medicine is we're so privileged and so fortunate and so blessed we don't feel that way because everything with our mind is hardwired to relative social status what, what this person had or investments i saw the demon you know the demons creep in on me well why did i sell that investment at that point in time and i had that opportunity and i didn't take it it's, it's gone for like two minutes though because you realize we are like we are so blessed we're not powerless children in some other place, right? There's so, there's so many other ways that, and that's, I think, how I balance a lot of these, these issues, the gratitude and the, and the, the need for more is I, I feel like it's a, a burden. And then I was actually told that during one experience was it, it is the, the burden I think of being a man is that we're able to take the burden and you have to have a burden and you have to seek more. And that's the only way that you can become a man. And that's your, endless task of masculinity is having that burden and moving forward. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And uh, let's carry it with courage. And gratitude and appreciation. Mm. Because again, the more tools you get and, and it, it, it's like, yeah, you're, you're never, 
you've never like, okay, I'm arrived and I never, but a black belt is still better than a purple belt. A purple belt is still not a white belt. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I'd rather yeah. be, I'd rather be the white, the black belt with the beginner mind than the white belt with beginner mind, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your first day and you're spazzing around and you don't, you don't know, understand as far, I got my daughter in BJJ actually. So it's so fun to just watch a little four-year-old and the, the four-year-old classes, how, how they learn all their moves. And I remember the first day, and I meant to do a podcast on this and I forgot to, it was, you, you just, you got to learn the moves, man. Uh, there's so much, because I've ne- I was never some elite BJJ guy, never, never would be, or elite athlete of any kind, but there, there, just, there is a sense of they're just moves. Okay, someone's on top of you in the mount. Okay, like you pen their leg, you grab the shoulder, you bridge to the right, and now you're like not in the mount. What if the other guy knows? Well, don't worry about if the other guy knows the moves, right? And so much of life and spirituality is that there are moves. There are just moves to these things yeah. that everyone can and should learn. Absolutely. And as I say in, in – uh, I can't remember where I wrote this. I don't think it was one of my books. I think it was in an article I wrote, but that, you know, there are secrets. There are right. secrets – and there are vastly superior ways to move through life than, than others, right? And just because the game is constantly evolving and never ending doesn't mean that there aren't better ways to play it, right? Uh, and I'm always, as I know you are, looking for those better ways. And I guess that's the foundation of my life's work is is finding these, in jiu-jitsu, they're called techniques and concepts. And it's the same with life. There's techniques, there's, there's concepts, there's moves, there's, there's knowledge that can help you do things in a more efficient manner and that will result in better outcomes. And I'm always looking for those and then trying to share them. Yeah, they're just, they're, there are moves and it, it is better. And you, but you lose sight of that though, as you learn more of the moves, I think it's called the curse of knowledge as a concept where you you learn so much that like two things happen. One is you don't understand how little people know. And two is you don't understand how much you've learned to you. You're like, God, I don't know anything, which I guess is a nice beginner's mind to have, but no, just objective, objectively, like you do think back to, you know, day, day one of school or day one of jujitsu or day one of business or day one of relationships where you didn't even know how to go up and approach someone maybe in a social situation, or you didn't even know how to do a a basic escape. You learn all of that. And then you think, God, I don't really know anything. Cause why? Because some, cause other people have moves. The world has moves We're we're not, it's not just us. That's where video games maybe do us a disservice is we think everybody has moves and you figure out their moves. And now we know the game but other people have moves, their moves are changing and everything's evolving all the time. And that doesn't mean that we should feel like we've ever arrived because you, you will never truly arrive. But it is helpful, I think, for your psyche, for your own self-love to think back to how far you've come and how you didn't know any moves at all and to yeah. reflect on what you have now. Yeah, I have this document that I, I refer to every morning, which um, it has a list of my accomplishments and victories over the course of my life. And I guess accomplishments, victories, and things that I overcame. And I reflect on it often. And it, it really, it galvanizes me to, to face life and to, to operate at my best because it reminds me that, you know, I've done some pretty cool stuff. And uh, I think everyone should, should be doing that because it changes the way you see yourself. You know, like if you have a victim mindset or 
you know, you, you think of yourself as a loser or whatever it might, whatever negative mindset you might be harboring at the time. If you, if you refer to this list of all these, these victories and these conquests and these things you've learned and done, it neutralizes that. And I, I think that's a cool little skill. It does. So brother, I got to get going. I have a, I have a call here at 1230 with a client. Yeah, no stress. Thanks, Mike. That was a, that was a really, really good conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. My pleasure, man. It was cool listening back to that show. I hadn't heard it for about a year. And as I said in the intro, so much has changed for me since then that it's, sometimes it was kind of hard to listen to, hearing that, that there was just still like some bitterness in my voice, which, man, no one wants to be bitter, right? Like it, it holds you back from the things you really want in life. It's a really low level vibration. But it's so good now to juxtapose it against the way I feel now. And I truly can say this with no reservation. And that is that I'm so grateful that I went through the things that I was discussing in that, that episode. You know, I've lost several things in my life, things that were very close to me. One of them was my ex-wife, like I, that my marriage, I guess is a better way to put it. Another was my first podcast, London Real. And another was a business partnership and a business that I put a lot of energy and time into. And if I look at those three things now, those three, they're actually relationships in specifically. If I look at them, I am so grateful that all three of them ended. I'm truly, truly grateful. I'm grateful for everything positive that came out of them. But it's also clear that those, those were necessary endings. And as difficult and painful as it was at the time to deal with them or to accept them, I'm very glad they happened to me. And uh, they gave me a platform to go into bigger and better things. And now that they're gone, there's space for these bigger and better things to enter my life. And it's entered my life. And I would urge you, if you haven't yet read my book, Aligned, I speak about this very concept in Aligned, this idea of letting go. And how when you're holding on to things, you're literally blocking the new things that are better for you from coming into your life. And so it can apply to several different layers of your life. It's it's emotions that you could be holding on to, but it could be relationships as well. It could also be physical stuff. A lot of us hold on to belongings and hoard things because it comes from a scarcity mindset or a fear mindset. And I just find that being willing and open and ready to let go and letting go of things that have that are no longer serving you is it's one of the smartest things you can do if you're on the path to becoming the best version of yourself. So I would urge you to go read the book, Letting Go, The Pathway to Surrender by David R. Hawkins. I'm sure you've heard me recommend it dozens of times on the show. And I would also urge you to check out my book, Aligned. You can get a free copy at my new URL, which is Coach Nick G. And that's Nick with no K, just N-I-C, forward slash book, uh, if you want to get a free copy. Guys, thank you for listening to the official first episode of the Nicholas Gregoriati Show. Bless you all. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, may the force be with you. 